Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 3,300 pounds for a slot at a semi-exclusive test day at Silverton. I made it through the first corner, and the second, and the third, and the fourth. I made it into the fifth. <laughs> and then I, I learnt what a pirouette was. I've, and I, this car gets mentioned the whole time. Hello and welcome to the Collecting Addicts podcast, episode 31, where there have been accusations that we're all a bit middle class and too comfortably off. So today, Neil Clifford's in Ibiza, Manish Pandey's in Tobago, uh, Chris Cooper's in St. Moors, I'm in Bristol and Edward Lovett's, I think, in London. There we go. In the comments, hate us all as much as you want. We can't help it. We're just trying to live our lives. Um, hot <laughs> topics for this week's discussion are as follows. Track days. We're starting with track days. Your best track day stories, your worst track day stories, how you feel about track days, whether they're good or bad. It's a bit of an in-joke, this, because Chris Cooper was supposed to do this four weeks ago, and we've denied him, and he's been chomping at the bit. So Neil Clifford can go first. I have a love-hate relationship with track days. I'm sure I've said it about 100 times before. I really don't like being on the track. Apart from that, I love track days. (laughs) Because... Yeah, it's true. I I love I do love because it's it's a collection of weirdos. It's all the people that you like, and you want to talk shit to, and you want to inspect their cars, and you want to have a look at all the things that you haven't bought yet, and you've still got an itch of having I don't know a three hundred SX or whatever, or, or or a Subaru or a Mitsubishi, and you can tire kick without actually buying the bloody thing and chat to other weirdos whilst Chris is having another glass of rosé in preparation for his track day 15-minute monologue. Um, So I generally like them. I pay the money, I go along, I drink tea, I have the bacon sandwich at 8 in the morning, I meet wonderful people, most importantly. I just don't like going around the track. Maybe that's slightly odd, and I need some help on that, and I'm looking for the two Chrises maybe on september the 11th to give me some instruction be it that that is my wedding anniversary rather an unfortunate date for a wedding anniversary although it was 1999 so yeah i've got got an out on that but i'm hoping for some um instruction how to discover one's grip limits how to remember the track 
how to not look a dick and get overtaken by something much slower than what you've bought and you've taken to the day. That will, that should be the ambition of the day. It can should be. Can I say something even more middle class? Yes. That sounded like the perfect answer to just a minute. If I'd said, "Your subject now is track days." <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I would have. I would have. No been repetition, yeah, deviation, exactly. or hesitation. I, I think I did repeat a few. But, but didn't at all. the word track. I think. Um, I, I think we should move now to Chris Cooper. Uh, no. Set your timers <laughs> and let's see where this goes. So I quite like track days, um, but I think Neil is right. They are they are full of very interesting people, and um, I was trying to think when track day started. I think they they're a relatively new phenomena for people of our maturity and youth. Uh, I reckon late 80s, early 90s. There was an outfit called Club 89, which sounds like a Berlin establishment of dubious repute. Club 89 was run by a lady who was a massive touring cars fan. And the idea of their track days was they would run at circuits where the touring cars had been that weekend. So you'd go along to usually a Monday, sometimes before the weekend, and there'd be all these touring contracts so Alan Menu, Ricard Rydell, Tim Hub, they'll be there. And they would all sit in your car and give you, I mean, just mad. Lovely. And in those days, people had normal cars. They had everyday cars. There's a bit of footage I found somewhere on YouTube of an early 90s Club 89 day at Silverstone. And everyone's driving hatchbacks and Golf GTIs and sort of set, set some sort of stuff. And now it's just gone mad. Everyone, everyone arrives. Everyone arrives. Lots of people arrive in an articulated lorry and they're wearing the kit and so forth. And they're talking in rather sort of adenoidal terms about how much towing they've got in their GT3s and so forth. Um, but track days have kind of, it's a hackneyed term, democratized access to racing circuits. But that they really have. There was an outfit called Wheel Talk oh. a few years ago. Remember Wheel Talk? Oh, oh, oh. So Wheel Talk started, they were the people who I was first aware of, who did track days at the Nürburgring and Spa. Um, they sort of disappeared after a rather unfortunate episode where, because they were usually run in the autumn, um, kind of an end of season kind of jolly, and you go with your mates to the Nürburgring, which is a, you know, about five hours drive from Calais, a bit more, maybe six hours. So you're not going to go there on a whim. And there was a rather delicate moment where everybody turned up uh to the briefing run by wheel talk only to find that wheel talk had forgot to book the circuit <laughs> or something similar so there was you're going no to mention the name or not hmm? you're going to mention the name of the no i won't mention who it was no, i won't mention who it was no um but it does remind me so and it was my favorite track day experiences and i definitely won't mention who this is although some of you work out who it is um, there's actually they're a very good outfit. They really they're very very good outfit. But the chap who used to run them had an interesting approach to customer relations, and he clearly regarded most of his customers as complete nincompoops and morons <laughs> and idiots and so forth. And he had particular lack of enthusiasm for people who are turning up in GT3 Porsches because he thought they were always going to crash and give him pain and make him a difficult day. Like I remember the briefings you used to give at Spa, where you get everyone together and all these GT3 owners, 911 GT3s, were very, very excited. I think, I've got a GT3 on at Spa. I'm going to be a god. And you could see this chap was just completely fed up with all of this. So he'd hold up a little picture showing what Eau Rouge was. And he'd point to the inside radio and said, 
that's where all the GT3s crash. They're all tits, those people. He didn't use the word tit, but, you know, I don't like swearing on here. It was a slightly stronger word that ended and started with a T and a T. He said, they're all tits. That's where they end up. And somebody asked a question. And he said, and this chap said, before you ask, have you got a GT3? And chap said, yes, tit, and pointed to where he's going to crash at the top of Eau Rouge. And the next player asked a question, and he didn't realize he said, you're a tit, you've got a GT3. And there was this chap and his amazing approach to customer relations. There was a, they ran an event at the Nürburgring quite late in the year. If anybody been to Nürburgring, you know that the pine needles come off the trees, like little roller, roller bearings all over the track. It's quite slippery, quite slippery. And there'd be a guy who'd do like a ducks and drakes thing where you had to follow an instructor from one of the local hero people at the ring. So the local instructor thought, this is my opportunity to show everybody how fast I am. So rather than going slowly, he goes super fast. And it was very, very wet, slippery, pine needly morning. And everybody fell off. So the guy who got irritated by people bringing GT3s went just on the way to moon. So everybody came back to the paddock in dribs and drabs, corners missing for their cars, bumpers and so forth. And this poor chap was, he just needed oxygen. He was so angry. He was so cross. And he would just force his way back up to the podium. And all he said, driver's briefing. Now, everyone got the way back. And he got to the front. He, he was wheezing. I thought he was going to have a seizure. He was so angry, so short of breath. And he got to the front and his face was going. And he could only utter one word repeatedly everybody and it was the abbreviated plural of cambridge university netball team and that's all he could utter repeatedly all these people um but still um if you say all these people it was you and me as well we were both it was you and me as well yeah it was <laughs> so i love track days because the characters they produce uh, and neil we will we'll have a great day on our track day so i think they are i think they're great um, there's a slight problem actually brewing, I think, at the moment in the UK because test days, so motorsport test days where you have to have a motorsport license and so forth, mm -hmm. they're becoming mm -hmm. fewer and fewer and far between and very, very expensive. Silverson has these semi-exclusive test days now. £3,300 for a slot at a semi-exclusive test day at Silverson. That's, That's very expensive. quid before COVID. Yeah. So more and more people are using track days effectively as test days. They shouldn't because the insurance isn't in place and blah, blah, blah. Um, so it means that the demeanour of track days is changing. And a lot of track day events now look like they're test days. Yeah, I um, think so that's true. But I've had that experience of being at a normal Silverstone gold track or whatever they're called when you get that bollocking, yeah. but that briefing in the morning and yeah. all of that. But then all you've got is these LMP2 bloody, yeah, ugly bloody things. Yeah. Puffing up your arse the whole time. Yeah. Uh, um, we, we have mentioned a, operated gold track. Gold track are very, very good. We have no. We have no, they're no good. They're, 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 they're very they're well. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. They are very, very good. But I tell you what, if you tangle with Melindy, she'll give you a right fucking follow. She will do. Yeah. He's and good. and um, right, uh, Manish, track, have you ever done a track day? Yes. Yeah. That, 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 that. Yeah. I've done a few yeah. track days. Yeah. Um, I, uh, there were two that come to mind when um, a friend. And I shared a 30th birthday, did the Silverstone, sort of, you know, you arrive, you do the go-karting, then they give you uh, um, 
a lovely ride around in a Peugeot 306 with a six-speed box. So I remember that, that was a lot of fun with an instructor. And then you get driven around very quickly. I can't remember what it was. And then you actually go up to Formula Fords by the end of the day and you have the slow lane and fast lane. I absolutely loved it. And I remember the Formula Ford, the thing that I most loved about it was how tiny the gear travel was. I mean, it was just beautiful. Yeah. It, was, it was so enjoyable just doing that, literally. And, and for a guy who doesn't drive very much, I wasn't too shabby, but my favorite track day story, and I will drop a name, um, for various reasons. In 2016, Hugh Grant and I found ourselves at a particular <clears throat> event at the Abu Dhabi Music and Arts Festival. He um, narrated The Little Prince, and um, he'd done it as a kind of favor to 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 me actually and i'd done it as a favor to the people who organize it so um knowing that he's such a massive petrol head and that i absolutely love cars as well they closed yas marina circuit for us and basically it was um three of us in aston martins with an instructor in the car on the short yas marina circuit so you don't have that whole kilometer you go yeah. about half a kilometer and you come back in and um, and also they've got a great karting circuit. And I remember thing about him is he he comes across as so terribly abrasive at times. It's because he just doesn't really like you know the press or the average press. But he's actually he's a really lovely guy. He's absolutely hilarious. I think in real life he's a very very quick driver, very very quick driver. And um, just remember that. Uh, when it came to karting, I was just having a lot of fun. I was just arsing around, not trying to break properly because he weighs 30 kilos more than me. So I could just do what I wanted and catch him up, but I couldn't overtake him. He would just place it in the right place. But when we went out into the circuit, what was great was he he was quick. He was very, very precise, but there's a really ugly bump about halfway along the main straight of Yas Marina. And he hit that twice and he decided he didn't like it. So I remember that was when I did get to overtake him. Pretty much flat, doing a little thingy. And he an came out ugly bump. Him. I've never, I've heard bumps on racing circuits referred to in a number of ways, but an ugly bump is a brilliant way of describing <laughs> it. It was an ugly bump. You, honestly, it was just one of these things you Motoring didn't see it until you hit it. And you just, you just catch the car. And then he came up to me and went, what the fuck do you weigh? How much do you weigh? I want to know how much you weigh. <laughs> I think I was 68 kilos. Well, I'm 88 kilos, and that's why. That's why. It's the only reason you overdo it, me, he said. Like, I'm really, really angry and serious. And then he started laughing. Uh, to this day, I haven't quite worked out whether he meant it or not. But I have a picture of us on the podium afterwards, me holding up my lap times, him not holding his up, and I shall donate it to this podcast so you can see. It was, send, uh, send it was a great one day. so we can put really it up here. Yeah. Right. Edward oh, Lovett, sure. do you have a story about a track day involving Hugh Grant or any other AAA lister? Uh, not really, no. But <laughs> I, I, I might have mentioned on here, I've, I've had a couple of accidents in my time. And uh, hmm. one of my early accidents was on the first time I ever did a track day. And, in a GT3 uh, with that so, guy. <laughs> it, well, no, it wasn't. It, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a twit one. But uh, so I, I went, I decided to go to Castle Coombe and my father very kindly let me borrow a Lotus Elise for my very first track day Ooh, and I was, living at home. I was living at home at the time and uh, we had a Lotus dealership so he he let me 
borrow a Lotus Elise. So I woke up one Saturday morning. It was pissing down with rain. So <laughs> I tootled along to Castle Coombe <laughs> to, uh, to do my first ever track day. And the Lotus got quite a lot of attention because they were brand new then. And uh, I went went out. It was it was so wet. I made it through the first corner, <laughs> and the second, <laughs> and the third, and the fourth. I made it into the fifth. <laughs> and then I I learned what a pirouette was, <laughs> and it spun, and it spun, and it spun, until I eventually learned what an arm cove was. <laughs> That is the problem with Castle Coombe, there's a lot to hit. Oh, that that was my first track day. And what was more embarrassing, that the car Daddy, got put on sorry. a low the car got put on a low loader. No. And I got in the low loader and I had to go back to our family's body shop on a Saturday afternoon and to deliver the car there. Oh. It, it, and when I, I got home that evening, with I had my head hung in shame and my father was furious. Um, you know, I'd already had multiple fuck-ups in my life. This <laughs> 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 just added to it. And, and luck, luckily for me on this day, my mother was also livid. But she was livid with my father to yeah, say, I, I told you not to let him take not it. I to told you you should have gone with him. <laughs> but an, an old Elise in the wet at Castle Coombe. I honestly think I'd rather have a LaFerrari at Bloody Spa. Yeah. Well, you and easier. I were there. You are you and I were there several years later in a K KTM, and that does not work in the wet no. at Castle no. Coombe. No. We can tell that we might be able to tell that story Monday, might we? We yeah. might do. And but I, I I just wanted to add just a couple of things. I'm I'm with Neil and and I I, I think it is very good value to go to a race circuit. And, you know, if you realise after going to multiple track days, it's better not to be taking your GT3 or M3 road car. And you, I, I can't judge the people that turn up and treat a track day like a, a race event because it's it's their passion. They They love doing what they do. But it's very intimidating for people that, are new yeah. to track days and turn up in a road car. And, and I've always thought I'd love to do a sort of a track event, but where the track is, whether it's cones or something to almost turn it into more of a sort of fast road day. So you can, you can drive whatever car you turn up in old, old or new at, at a pace you wouldn't do on the road but where you're not constantly battling to get the apex or get a fast lap or deal with people. That's and a really good it, idea. And Chris and, I, Chris and I obviously did this track day in Chicago a few weeks ago. And if you're fortunate enough to have a private track day with a few friends where you can have breakfast and lunch and there's a few cars you can go and hop into and use, but and you do it with total respect, you drive the car, very differently to how you might be driving your G your own GT3 on a track day. And that, you know, Chris, I don't know what you thought, but, you know, we, we were probably driving the cars at, you know, 60% of their capability, but it's actually really enjoyable just really to drive fun. a really nice car at mm. 60%. Yeah. Um, yeah well, I can I say, when I went on that track day, because I'm the real non-driver here, 
even you know i know neil pretends he's an under i really am but what really what really bit me what got under my skin was was the word rhythm and it was so much more important than sort of just trying to be quick and it when you felt that you had the rhythm and the gears were just shifting exactly on time and you feel, felt that you were turning in i didn't even feel that i was going particularly quickly and i remember i was quite intimidated getting into a formula ford because i just couldn't yeah, believe it's intimidating yeah, that that tiny little engine behind the gearbox me, is, feels like, really violent and snatchy. Oh and, God! Yeah. But but once it started to slide, once that rhythm started to come, I remember I went into the faster lane because they were quite segregated—a kind of going round tootling lane and then an overtaking lane—and they were very very sort of Silverstone disciplined about it. And I came out, and my instructor did show me the times, and she said, look at those, look at that little run, you know? And you I could be an at... F1, Manish. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> the next week, you know, the next week. No, but I, it's just the concept of rhythm being almost as important as that kind of, you know, stupid one-lap nonsense. I think that's what I'm saying. You're yeah. making some sunglasses for your track days, aren't you, uh, Chris? Yeah, we're not, we're not, that, that's far too important to tell about now because that's, um, that's a big secret, that is. Again, it's a beautiful design range. Um, track days. I, I'm I'm so torn by track days. I can't think of a subject. That I can tell you don't even want to talk about it. Really, it brings, it brings out so many positive things, but negative things. To start with, I just I, I I've never been more intimidated than my first track day. I found my first track day more intimidating than my first race because I turned up there and it wasn't. They would there was no friendly faces at all. I was just glared mm. at, looked at. No one said hello. No one wanted to talk about cars. It was it was horrible. But I it was at the Nurburgring. It was at the Wheel Talk Day, and I really wanted to be there. I was there on my own. Which year uh, was that? Were you when you first go? Ninety nine, I think. Yeah. Ninety eight, ninety nine, and um, and I luckily I did bump into some people I I vaguely knew, and that then it was better. But I was intimidating. So I think the first thing is, if you see someone new at a track day, go and say hello to them. Go and ask them why they're there. Go and go and give them a pat on the ass and say, don't worry. It's your first time, but it's going to be great fun. And if you want any advice, come and talk to us. Or at lunch, if you're on your own and there's no one to talk to, come and talk to us. Because hmm. I, I felt, I hated it. I felt much more lonely then than I did at my first race meeting. I think track days are fundamentally a brilliant way to enjoy your car away from the public road going fast. And we can only support that because the road is increasingly not a great place to go fast. Yeah. So they're great. However, I think the bandwidth for track days is... Is, is quite narrow. In other words, I think if you're too much of an amateur now, the track days are difficult to accommodate you. And I think if you're getting too fast, you need to piss off and go racing. This is the bit I really feel. At the top end, the ones that keep pounding round and spending all money on road cars, lads, go racing. Go yeah. and compete. Go and compete because yeah. you're not getting everything you need at these track days. There's, there's a competitive side to you that needs the chance to go out and do some yeah, racing. Or find out that actually racing isn't for you. Yeah, but give it a go. Go and give it a go. Yeah. Don't Don't bully people at track days and be the really quick guy go take the next step go on be brave or brave girl go and have a go at the next step i'll give you what i'll give you my that's how i feel about track days i think they're mm. brilliant but they can be really intimidating and i don't i don't really like that yeah um, I'll, I'll tell you my best track day story though it has to be at the nurburgring i'm not going to mention any names i've gone out there with a group of people a, a wider group of people we reckon 15 years ago and uh, maybe more and one of those people is driving a British sports car. It's quite interesting. Um, and he comes into the, the the paddock area bit, or we you know the tourist and fire, and where you go out that car park. Yeah. There's a there's a guy there with his wife who is. Um, they're both very interested in the cars. I don't know what they've arrived in. Anyhow, she's ha she is hassling everyone for a go 
in the cars, a ride in the cars. And he seems quite happy for his wife to go and do these rides. Um, this Englishman um, ag agrees to take this woman for a ride, for a lap in, in his British sports car. He comes back into the car park where he doesn't stop. He goes straight through the car park with this girlfriend of this other man and goes somewhere else and then comes back 20 minutes later um, with a grin on his face. And we all said, what's going on? And he said, I can't say. And then we carried on with our track day. And that <laughs> happened at the Nordschleife on a track day. I think I knew who that is. To this day, I cannot believe it happened. I'm saying no names. I'm not saying the car involved. But it was just the way that he rolled in and we all expected him to stop and this person to get out. And you it have to, off. yeah. It went straight through and straight off to the nearest hotel. Yeah. It was um, a quite remarkable display of forceful awesome. driving. Um, so now we've got to decide what car we would like to drive a thousand miles in. This was one day. This is one day. Neil Clifford set this. Um, and I'm going to answer first because I quite often go last. I've, and I, this car gets mentioned the whole time, but it's the single best mile muncher for me uh, in that it's good fun to drive. But when you want to just settle back, it's so quiet and soothing. And it is an S63 coupe. It's I knew, it. I knew that would be your answer. I've, yeah. I did 25,000 miles in mine. I've never driven a car that's better at, at doing that job. I really haven't. And if I've sported it for anyone else, I do apologise. No, Clinton no one chose it because we all knew that you would choose it. Yeah. <laughs> is it me now? Yes. I've got two, which is very annoying. The logical one for me, it's, it's a little bit more sporty than your suggestion. I mean, it's quite ironic, isn't it? And that a man that obviously loves to drive and can drive very fast, chooses a sort of a limo, basically, <laughs> for an old bloke who's retired from his you know, whatever job and he's driving down to his house in Saint-Tropez. For me, I wouldn't do that because I, I, I have a vision of me being sportier than I am when I drive. So I would have a 991 Turbo S. I think that's the logical car because it's sporty enough it's enjoyable, it's small, it's got all the bits, it's got air conditioning. If you've got the buckets, you're lucky. You've got your bloody car play. You can put it in sport. You can have a bit of fun. And you'll get out and you'll still be comfortable and you'll still be happy. So I think that's the logical truth. Tr can, can I add one thing to that, though? Yes, I, yes. I, as you know, I'm a, not a massive 911 fan, but 991s generate so much road noise yeah. from those rear tyres. I reckon I've done, I've never done more than 600 miles in a day in mine. After 600 miles in a 991, your head hurts. If you've got the if you've got the collecting addicts playlist cranked right up, hopefully that would cover the road noise. There you go. Yeah. No, it's fair to say you're right about that. I do own one, and I'm lucky enough that my wife treats it as a daily driver. And I haven't told her that it's got winter tires on it all year round, so it's even sweeter because I can't be asked to pay for the wormy in the summer. You what? That's quite squirmy. Those winter tyres in the summer get quite squirmy. Ooh, he'd be all right. I just can't be asked to pay you the money to put the summers back on. So it's actually twice. She's like, this car's very noisy. No, it's not. It's lovely, this car. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the, the car that I've actually done it in, which is a little more radical, but it's the funny thing is, this is why I brought this subject up, it's 1,001 miles from my house to Padova. And I had a friend, a very dear friend, who was living in Padova, actually. And we all said, we should come down and watch the start of the Mili Milia 
let's all just drive down to your house. We'll have dinner. Thinking, you know, it's very easy to drive from Buckinghamshire to Padova. It bloody isn't, actually. It's no. 17 hours. And I was, it sounds very knobby, but anyway, I'm going to be knobby. It was in a Ferrari 599 GTO, which clearly is not the absolute choice of the perfect car to do that in. But you know what? I'm like, sod it. I own a 599. What else are you going to do with it? What else are you going to do with it? And I think I left home at like 3.15 a.m. to get to the 4.45 Euro tunnel. And then it's like 890 miles from the Euro tunnel. And it feels fine. You know, I've done Milan seven or eight times in a day. You get to Milan, but it's like nine at night. And you've still got that 200 miles or whatever it is to Padova. And you've had 19 espressos. You've had 14 bags of Haribo. You've had about <laughs> 72 pisses. You've had a shit, you know, some sort of weird plastic ham sandwich or whatever in Switzerland. You've been caught in the traffic through the bloody Mont Blanc. And but that last 150 miles, which is that sort of beautiful east-west motorway that goes Milan to Venice, but it's like Monza. It's two lanes, there's cones everywhere. You've only got 100 metres of straightness before it does another little chicane. You're trying to stay awake. The windows are down. You've got REM bloody out of time on for the 17th time. You're singing along trying to keep yourself awake. But you've done it in a 599 GTO. So I've I've done it in a very practical car. And it was still lovely and what a great memory. What's your cold air strategy when you're really struggling? You you oh, coming out the window? Are you getting a, are you getting a scoop of air in, or are you cranking up the air onto your face? What are you head doing? Head out, head out the window. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I'll tell you something about. So when we used to race in these cup cars all those years ago, they had no ventilation at all, and Mister C used to like a decent, consistent stream of air onto his face. There was a bit of metal tubing that used to come in and be. It was good. It was directional. And it was known as the scooper. So, it was known it as scoop- the scooper. It was known as the scooper. The scooper. Yeah. When um, you start, uh, when you start to get the uh, the, the the dozing, oh, oh, it is. Yeah, that yeah. Scooper you, sco- re- I, you, I, you need to pull over and have a coffee or a walk for a moment or, a or something like that. It's yeah. You, you, yeah. very hard to what shake. What you need it to off. do is get something lively like Leonard Cohen on. Really get the juices flowing. Yeah. Perhaps some driving tunes that might do. I think the, the scooper worked really well. It was. And when we drove that Bentley, which you weren't allowed scoopers, no, didn't like that. No, and also the scooper worked well unless you had contact lenses because you've had your eyes open for an entire stint. Yeah. You've got the contact lenses got welded to your eyeballs. Was that was that your excuse for just being slow? No, because I wasn't. Can I go next, please? So uh, the this lot. Don't love take, it. Let's go. Don't take all the cars. So I, I've done it quite a few times, um, and it's not. It's probably more about the seat, isn't it, than anything else? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. but, but but actually, I think I can do it in all pretty much all any car. And I've written a few down here because the, the last time I did I it was that. in it was was in a nine nine one Turbo S. But I think if I was doing it today, I'd probably be wanting to be doing it in a nine nine two Turbo S. Um, this is essential consumer advice we're providing here, isn't it? Of course, it, exactly. I did write S class coupe down. I, you know, I've never yeah. driven one, Chris, but I can yeah. just imagine. You know, it, obviously, an S class yeah. is a good a seven series, an amazing car, but an S class coupe as a driver is probably a better choice. I don't know how people survive the long car. journeys without this advice. Yeah, it's, um, 
the, but I, I, I also wrote down here a 275 GTB4 cam because if I just hopped in one, <laughs> I'd be happy to keep going and keep going and keep going. And I'm not sure if I would be bothered if I got cramp in my leg or or the fact the car was hot or there was no music or, you know, I'd just be so damn happy to be driving that car. Um, I, you know, I really think I could do it in almost anything. Although I have written down two cars that I don't think I would want to do it in. One of them, Chris, you'll be happy to hear is a old Defender. Yes. Yeah. And the other one is, is a KTM. <laughs> Crossbow, God, a crossbow. That'd be too much for me. <laughs> crossbow. Um, so we've done. Uh, we've done. Uh, me, Neil Clifford, Edward, uh, Manish. What, what are you going to choose for your thousand miles? Well, last week I was accused of being Bobby Ewing, so I'm going full JR. It would have to be a 560 SEC. Oh, it's yes. just, it's such a great car. And we, we've we've all all agreed it's definitely one of the top three instrument panels of all time. But I've driven that car. A bit, or you know, many many years ago, I, I there's just nothing like it. This you just sit in it. A friend of my dad's had one. Basically, it was very very new at the time. The seat just fit. You could see everything. Amazing air conditioning, even for the time. I mean, really really amazing air conditioning. And um, I drove the thing from LA to Las Vegas. I basically drove. So I think that's only four four hundred miles, something like that. And it was just glorious you know i came out just going well i think maybe had one break it was one of those just extraordinary cars went up into the hills through palm springs it's just gonna it is my best memory of driving a car for any kind of distance and coming out thinking well easy, what colored lights there are here why is, why is no one, one dropped, here again why has no one dropped the current four liter amg twin turbo into a 560 sec what a car i bet they have they must they must have done Do, that those, metatronic. yeah i was going to say those keenler or are they all in prison now? no it's, it's metatronic who, who <laughs> yeah. Do it, yeah. <laughs> rumors are they are yeah yeah uh mr c um, so how, um, how are you what well, how are you going to travel a thousand miles to get your next well rosa uh, um uh, some context is important here. In fact, two hours of context. First of all, I am on holiday this week, just in case no one had noticed. You seem um, like you're slurring slightly. Do you know I'm that, Chris? You this are slurring. slurring. You are I'm, you're I'm, definitely I'm, not. And the maid keeps topping your the, the maid keeps topping your lady petrol. <laughs> may I say? Well, this is important advice. So people want to know this stuff. This, uh, today, I'm mostly enjoying Rock Angel, not Whispering Angel, it's Rock ah, It's actually yes. quite nice, Rock Angel. It's better I than Whispering it's Angel. Whis it's Whispering Angel with the gloves off, basically. It's, it's better, yeah. yeah. Before, before, before will, will, we... you be, um, will you be shaving for dinner, Mr. Cooper? Because, no, you know, I'm on holiday. A little it's, Cornwall. I've been on the, it's Cornwall. It's just, the sun's come out. I mean, every, a lot of people have been in the southwest or other parts of England on, on the holidays, and it has been pissing down the whole time. The last day or so, it's Wednesday, uh, before we, we we publish this, uh, the sun has come out. It has actually been quite nice. So people are out there and it's... A thousand out. miles in you've one over, you, car. You've overrun your car. You've overrun, a so you've miles miles in one car. Wait, wait, I, I asked a really say... simple question. Will you be shaving? I was like, no. it's Cornwall, it's Wednesday, and it's sunny. <laughs> no, I won't be shaving. No, okay. okay. Not, not during this podcast. 
Lads, lads, help me. Lads, help me here. Lasso him with me. Someone get the other horn. Let's get him back back in the pen. Get him back in the pen. It depends where and with whom you're doing the 1,000 miles. That's up to you. Everything. Okay, fine. So 991 Turbo S as well. No. (laughs) No, actually, I can't really. No, you've done that. So if you just had to do a 1,000 miles as quickly and painless as possible, I'd probably have something that had that amazing VW V8 twin turbo diesel. So the Panamera, the very short-lived Panamera V8 diesel. Yeah. That would do nearly 800 miles on a tank. Quite nice seats, low revving, loads of torque. It was effortless. If you could do lots of miles, something has to, you feel like it has to rev the whole time to get back up to speed and it's noisy and sort of, that's quite tiring. So something with loads and loads of torque, I think would do it. However, I do think I could do a thousand miles in a day in a Defender. It just Ooh, depends. I'm not saying you can't. <laughs> no, I just, I think I, I can imagine having to do, because can you do a thousand miles in one, Roughly in a straight line in the UK, or was it if you went from like no, land and about 680? Like, how much? No, well, that's a thousand kilometers, Six, then. 680. Is that that's what not it is? Even, yeah, it's not even 700, I think. Okay. A thousand miles in a day is a big thing. I think I've only ever you probably couldn't do it in a defender, then is because it's yeah. land's end. It's harder yeah. than you think. It is hard. I did it from uh, I did it from basically Rome to the UK. Pretty much, I think it was. I think that was about a thousand miles. Yep. I was absolutely in a two hundred six XS, which and I, it, it just ruined me. Eight hundred and thirty-eight miles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe What's that we though? That's, to that's, do that's that. Quite that's Land's End to John O'Groats. Yeah. That looked quite wiggly to me. Yeah. So uh, if that. I had to choose just one, he's driving, not taking a plane, Chris. Uh, yeah. Okay. If I had to choose just one, Panamera V eight diesel. Yeah. Okay. Here's an interesting one. A geek point, Mister C. Do you think there is a relationship between how many times a crank turns over on a journey and how fatigued your head is? In other words, do you think lower revving engines like diesels are less fatiguing to the body over a period of time? They probably are. Because I think there's something about the reciprocal part of an engine that if it's going faster, it must create an energy that means that in the car, some part of your noggin is aware yeah. of the fact there's something going on that's more frantic it's than it's stressful going... it's stress inducing because it feels like it's under stress the one thing i would slightly challenge on your uh route you've taken there chris is a thousand miles it is a bloody long way and it can get quite boring so the benefit of having something that's a bit more sporty which I appreciate that that is a good car and it's a good engine. But when you go through the odd payage or certain stretches of the motorway and you fancy just giving it the beans, it uh, it just sort of breaks the monotony up of uh, just yeah. plugging away. Yeah, also- the reason you've dr- the reason you've driven a thousand miles and not just hopped on a plane for thirty five quid to Padova is because actually you want to enjoy that time right, in Edward. the car alone. Pe- you, we, you've we left Penny. We we Penny's still in LA, exactly so that. she's not coming. We didn't specify that straight away. It has to be said. Right here we go. This is a slightly random one, and we will we will furnish this with the images in question. Hoping we don't get sued for doing so, but we, hopefully these are copyright free. The question is. What's your best or favourite single motorsport image? Um, Let's start with Mill Clifford. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mine is surprisingly a static image. It is not an image of a, I don't know, James Hunt winning the 1976 F1 title or something. But I think it's it's so good because it's static. It's so awesome. It so demonstrates the power of Ferdinand Pesch or however you pronounce his name. Pieck. Pieck. I know I'm not great at pronunciation. It's my, my dyslexia. But anyway, I tried to put emotion in to sort of combat my dyslexia. I think that image of the 917s all lined oh. up at the factory yeah 12th of march 1969 i think which was just an awesome show of i don't know teutonic engineering at its best really like you've changed the rules whatever it was from three liter to five liter i've been given the job of motorsport by my uncle or whatever you know at porsche so he had all the power and i'm just gonna design the best fucking racing car that's ever been made and i'm going to make 25 of them off the bat because i know ferrari won't be able to do that i'm going to show the power of porsche and i'm going to go and basically dominate world sports car racing in so many guises for 20 years right 917 962 956 whatever he took what he didn't win it the first time around because it obviously was super dangerous and that to change the back of the car and all of that but that image of the static white 917s at the factory with a couple of 356 set in the background i think is just a fantastic photograph rumor is that only the first three or four were actually completed cars isn't it so well, when the FIA inspectors came to look at them they basically tinkered with the first few but apparently the ones at the back were just a shell weren't they yeah, I did a bit of research on that, and it's it it sounds like there was more than that. It sounds yeah. like there were more like fifteen that could work, but of course they went on to make fifty or sixty other things. Even though they did um, authorize the five one two or whatever the Ferrari equivalent was, they only ever made seventeen of those, and they should have made twenty five. And Ferrari got away with it because they're Ferrari bastards. Um, but I think you know that that car. I'd I'd have loved to. I'm, I'm bloody old, but I'm not this old. I'd have loved to have seen that. Um, was it Hans Hermann and Richard Atwood, yeah. 1970, winning that Le Mans thing? I mean, it's just fantastic. I'm lucky enough to have been in Le Mans in the 80s and 90s, seeing those awesome 962s and all of that malarkey. So I think that would be my choice. I think it's it's silent but powerful and amazing. I like it. Manish, what's your your, your favourite still image uh, of, of motorsport? Well, it won't surprise you. It's one of Senna. But um, 
It's actually taken by Mark Sutton, and it mm-hmm. was um, after he'd won the Belgian Grand Prix in 1991. There's a bit of a lovely story to this. Um, the Williams was starting to kind of happen in that year. That was the Adrian Newey, sort of, you know, before the sort of all-conquering 14B from 92. This car was just, it just looked different to everything else. It was packaged better. And Senna, you know, famously won the first four races and people were saying he was walking away from it. And I think in retrospect, there was a lot of analysis about that season. You realize he'd really nursed that thing through. There was one race where he was very much helped by Berger. But what's what's what was special about that Grand Prix? Lots of funny things happened. Jean Alessi really arrived as a motor racing driver. I remember he he should have been on pole. He was up in the first two sectors. I was reading about it and he hit traffic in the third one and sort of Ferrari and Prost, if you like, were suddenly back in 1991. And then uh, PK also was driving pretty goddamn well that year in the Benetton. He was suddenly back because he was driving for Flavio and he was on a massive um, points bonus. They said he was on $100,000 per point with a win bonus of a million dollars on top of that. So it was just this, it was just, just this fantastic race. And of course, this young guy that no one had heard of subbed for Bertrand Gachot, who'd CS sprayed a taxi driver in yeah. London. And that boy was Michael Schumacher. And yeah. Michael Schumacher was suddenly in Fast Eddie Jordan's beautiful. Um, do you remember that? The um, that lovely seven-up Jordan. Yeah, Gary Anderson design. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So you had all of this, and then you know, you watch this race, and Senna just did not dominate this race at all. No. And he he got out into the lead, he was on pole position. But I remember Mansell got him at the, I think it was either Mansell or Prost. He basically came out of the, the pit stops um, in second. He just hung on, hung on, hung on. Inevitably, this very tightly packaged Williams of Mansell had a had a mechanical, I think it was an electrical, so Nigel was out. Patrese did the same thing. And Senna really, the, oh, that was the other thing in this race. It looked almost for a while that Andre de Cesaris was going to win because he was closing Senna down in the second Jordan. And that, I mean, that car was built for uh, Spa, but Senna hung on and he won. And um, it's just this beautiful photo. Because at the time, I don't think we had, well, we didn't. We didn't have the uh, podium televised. BBC would have been off the air by then. But Mark Sutton, Keith Sutton's brother, just got above the podium. And if you look at this photo on the left-hand side, all of flowers, you've got Senna PK's leg, you can see it because he's got a race suit on it. It's just Senna spraying up. And he's got the most beautiful, I call it the Senna smile, spraying these flowers. And you know, it's how I love to remember him. Just such a And that is it. That's Formula One for me, driver for me, him. That's boring. But then finding out in retro anything but and uh as well you know your wi-fi is a bit but, sketchy man yeah, so, so, so you know. if manish was cutting out there we apologize i think you, i think the recording might have got it manish Hopefully. so we'll trust that it did um but um yeah a bit of out and center there um edward love it what was your favorite um motorsport image so it's it's got to be alonzo on the deck chair hasn't it <laughs> <laughs> yes um yeah. i so I, I there's a couple 
Um, and I, I just to add to Neil's nine seventeen uh, one. Uh, there's a very cool image of those two 917s in unison sliding out of a corner yeah. um, in, in the wet. I, I don't know what circuit is It, that, it was but... a Brands Hatch BOAC, I think it was 1970. That's a cool yeah. image. But, but there, 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 are, there are two. What, what, one, just because I've got a picture of it um, at, at home and I, and I love it, which is sort of J Jim Clark in his uh, Lotus... 49 on on full tilt um which is just a brilliant photo but mm. actually th this the same as neil this is the one for me th that's always resonated yeah. to, to the extent where my my car that richard tuttle built is this one yeah. and we, we are building the this series of cars in these colors so we can replicate this uh this this photo yeah so the yeah. iroc uh 2.8 rsrs beautiful that was yeah, there, to be honest with you there are i you know i'm i've got a, a lot of not not quite as good as neil's uh bookshelf at home but when you look through some of these period books um there are just so many evocative photos of racing and drivers in the day you can you can spend hours just flicking through some books at these this imagery uh chris cooper um the 917 makes a case to be the greatest ever racing drive racing car we discuss yeah oh yeah and yeah. also photographs pretty well any photograph of a 917 moving or static just it's a winner, isn't it? It's mm. just, it's just it's an extraordinary thing. And we talked about it before. There's, um, there's when I'm at home. There's a picture on the wall behind me, of the, the, num the number two numbered Gulf nine one seven, that was in that film. Um, I think still owned by the Finberg family. That I have actually on my wall here as well. Um, that I was fortunate enough to sit in, but not drive, because I said I can't fit in it. They offered me to drive it. I, madness, I should have tried driving it. When Gulf sponsored my catering 20 odd years ago. So 917 was amazing. Um, it's a really hard one. To, it's really, the art of the driver is at its peak, I think. If you park motorcycling and TT, which we talked about earlier on the year, which I still think is just otherworldly. If we keep it to four wheels, it's the it's the art of the rally driver, and because nothing you know a, a rally car in the air at some ridiculous angle, you think mm. not just up in the air on nose down, but up in the air at an angle. I mean, no, sometimes it does go wrong. We you know we lost Craig Breen earlier on this year, and we have lost rally drivers in the past, and you know it's it's a bittersweet and and sort of difficult one to sort of to say we love because we know it's so close to the edge but there's one i shared it with you you guys before it's a still from a clip which we'll, we'll, we'll credit when we put it up of um there's some there's amazing historic rallying going on all over the country and elsewhere in europe with these beautiful original and rebuilt mark ii ford escorts seemingly more in the air than ever before um and there's there are some which just in fact I'll, i will just show it now to camera that's amazing that is not CGI'd. It's just unbelievable. So um, we'll find out who it is and we'll we'll credit him and show it up. 
but uh, yeah, it's amazing. So anything that shows a rally car and a rally driver and the brave, brave soul in the co-driver's seat who'd said oh. flat whenever it was before that jump or, you know, absolute, whatever the taxonomy of the code that they were using, thinking we're going to be looking at that six, don't, seven feet in the air. Don't lift. Has anyone seen don't. the YouTube videos with the Irish co-driver who goes oh. mental? They are, aren't they wonderful? Yeah, they and are. He's going, give her death, give her death, kill her. She's begging for it. She's begging for it. That's a good, if you had a few whiskeys, get onto those. They're just um, heroes. Right, so I'm, I'm, I'll answer mine quickly. Rallying, it, that's more That's more my passion. I'm with Mr. C on that. Uh, if you've got them at Klein Books, you'll understand why oh. I can't choose a single image because yeah. they're, Rally and Rally Cars, those two books. There's so many great images there, I can't bring myself to choose one. But there is one image that I that I look at that makes me grin maybe as much or even more, and it's a Formula One image. Because I, I like images that remind me of a time that maybe I was, before I was born, or makes me think of the sport or any sport in a different way. And I think the image that I love is, um, it's of the two Tyrrell, uh, six wheelers p34s yeah mm. and they're both sideways at interlagos and it, it's a 12 wheel drift and whenever i see this image i just cannot believe how good it is i can't believe that that anyone i mean look at that that is two six wheel cars yeah. drifting and it yeah. makes me it makes me think of a, a, a formula one where there couldn't be dominance for more than two seasons because the rules would permit someone else to come along and invent something new these are two cars with six wheels fully crossed up in brazil i just it's an image and it's ronnie peterson i think it's depaye as well yeah i, I mean, was going to ask who it is yeah it must be it's, it's yeah. just it's a it's just an image that if if you were a formula one photographer and you said i want to take one image to be remembered by it would be two six wheel tyrrells on the lock stops in Brazil. That's just, it's the recipe from the gods, That's, isn't it? Can yeah, you explain how those front wheels work? So you've got, of the steering column goes down into multiple axles going to the wheels. You've got, got two axles. Two well, you've got two steering arms, sets of steering arms. Yeah. And you've, you've, the, the theory is you've got double the contact patch to turn the wheel. And most importantly, lower frontal areas so are less drag. Yeah. And the two racks have got different levels or rates of Ackerman. You know what Ackerman is? Yeah. So Ackerman is how much the inside wheel turns. Yeah. Relative, yeah. So if you've got one axle there, one there. So they've got different rates of Ackerman. But the big issue was probably a bit more grip. But most importantly, that's why the Williams car, because they tried a six wheels car, uh, the FW07, they tried it, but with two rear axles, extra traction and lower frontal area. So, yeah. I thought it was the FW08, but that was exactly right. yes. Yeah, it was. Okay, yeah. I stand corrected. It's a nerd off. It's a nerd off. A nerd off. Right. Yeah, but I got go. Ackerman. I Mr. Cooper. Yes, Mr. Cooper. You, you can have. Do you know what, Mister C? You can have Ackerman. You really can. Yeah. Now, what, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. I'm going to. I'm going to pose the next subject. You fill your glass up. So here we go. Um, we are going to go for, uh, and I'm answering this first. So I can totally stitch Neil Clifford. No, You've got a no. dinner favorite, tonight, Chris. You've got favorite, a dinner. Be careful. Oh, favorite, wait. favorite electric seat adjustment buttons. <laughs> and they are, of course, the Porsche 928. On to you, Neil Clifford. <laughs> oh, no, that's good, because I haven't chosen that one. Oh, no. No, oh. you've got it wrong. There's only one choice here. Well, 
It's the it's nineties Mercedes. Oh, I'm going. Oh, I'm going oh, to oh, <laughs> I think I got this right. That's, that's, that's them covered then. Yeah. I mean, I mean, basically. Scroll forward, any, everybody. If you talk about anything to do with interiors, the answer is always '90s Mercedes, isn't yeah. it? The dash, the illumination, the fonts, the stereo, the seats, everything. Yeah. But the seat adjuster. Yeah. I remember. Did I buy? I think it was my my first sort of Ponzi Mercedes. It was a, a one two nine, I think three twenty. I couldn't afford a five hundred, but you get in that car and you see the seat adjuster is the shape of a seat. Yeah, it's so amazing, simplistic genius of a German that spent months thinking about this for us to realise. Oh my God, that's so bloody obvious. Why didn't anyone else design yeah. it like that? Because no one is as clever as that bloke in Stuttgart or wherever it was where he designed it. So you've got, you know, even the little, when you got in and you realized the headrest went up and down with that little button that's above <laughs> the seat. Yeah. It, do, do, do. Yeah, do, do. And you just fuck around with it. You fuck around with it the whole time. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> Sorry, and, Mr. Cooper, can you give us the headrest going up noise again? <laughs> so I think Doesn't everyone the, do that. There is there is no. a is it just me? Yeah. I mean you could argue that they copied it from Bentley, because if you look at uh, you look at a Turbo R Bentley. They had it, didn't they? They got it. It's not in the Did right they? place. It's in the middle. It's in the middle. And you can't really find it as easy because you've got all those millions of buttons and you and there's no lights, obviously, in a Bentley. So you, you can't see the bloody things. It's not illuminated. The fact that the Mercedes has a beautiful illuminated line, line. all the way around. Yeah. It's just uh, perfect. And it's you agree with... you'd actually like to sit in as well. It's not just some sort of... It's a seat you'd like to sit in as well. Yeah. That little so Neil, you agree with me? The nine two eight has the best buttons. Excellent. <laughs> Moving on. Edward Lovett, what's your favourite electric seat buttons? A question I never thought I'd ask you, mate. Well, no, so, so some of the topics we've had over the last few weeks, and in the sort of twenty four hours leading up doing the prep work, I just don't even know where to start. And I thought, I, I, this this is a fun one. I should be able to do it. And then I realised I don't really know where to start. Then I realised it's on the Porsche configurator in 991 era came the 14 way adjustable oh, yeah. seat yeah, that's too much how do you how do you go back from that for Porsche now you know today the next one's got to be the way. the 138 adjustable seat in 2030 but actually what what looking at the the actual buttons the 14 way adjustable seat on a Porsche it's quite ergonomic, as you would expect, and it's quite easy to use and intuitive. Bear in mind, you're driving at this time and you've got to put your hand down the side of the seat and just guess what button does what. And then the FF has a 16-way adjustable seat. And I remember putting my hand down the side of that seat and none of the fucking buttons do what you think they're going to no, they do. Don't. So you end up, oh, no, I don't want to go forward. I want I want the tilt to go back, or <laughs> I don't want lumbar support. I, I want to, this I want is to go yet, forward. Yet more critical consumer advice for anyone thinking of buying one of these vehicles. We've got it covered. 
or yeah. potential FF That's players. Very true, Ed. I've only just discovered. I've owned an FF for seven years. I've only just discovered that it's got heated seats it, on the little yeah. roller. It's got yeah. a little. It's yeah. got a, and obviously because it's down the side of the seat, you don't Can't know if it. you're on one, no. two, or three. It came on well, by accident. It must be surely if you push it down. Because it would be numbered on the roller one, two, three. No, well, I realize I realize that's, <laughs> that's what, what you think, logic. but obviously, whilst you're trying to navigate the autobahn at 180 miles an hour, and you're a little bit chilly on your your testicles, uh, you, you, want, you know, you, you oh, don't want to be overthinking to be which direction you're you're going. Okay, I'll, As I'll... Neil said, the Mercedes very cleverly just designed the shape of a seat, and now on most of them, it's on the door panel so you don't need to guess what you're doing you can most, just un look most at unfathomable it. electric seat switch for me there's only one winner i love this car dearly but i can never ever work out what's going on mclaren 720s just i, I it's somewhere down by your by your right sort of knee no idea no it well just... that I, I i'm not sure i can remember you but the the my only experience in mclaren's is i'm just not sure i could own one because or it's like a, a, the early ones yeah because the navigation and infotainment yeah. systems are so bloody complicated uh that, that that's that's the only time i would get lost i think um right who's uh manish your favorite uh, i'm sure you talked about this a lot but actually you're going to go mercedes aren't you i think you're going to so what's your well, favorite? I, I was just not was nodding at everything yeah. that that Neil said, and yeah. But um, what was incredible about those Go is exactly Neil. that the idea that you've got something that looks like the thing that you're manipulating. You can't really make a mistake with it. Well, there, there was one other thing that one they had a little one two three, so it actually had a memory, and yeah. you could. And there's a little green button on the bottom, so you could literally press one and it would go into memory one or two or three. But the yeah. other thing about it was, do you remember the lumbar support? Yeah. That's on a little roller and that was on the center. And that also had a little one position, two position, yeah. three position. It, 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 it's perfection. W140, yeah. seat control, yeah. front and back, no better. Uh, I think, has everyone had their say there? I think they have, haven't they? Yes. No, Mr. C hasn't. What's yours going to be? Well, 91 500SL. Or yeah, that okay. SL era. No, there's no argument, is there? Well, uh, I also I have something to add. What is the worst electric seat adjuster mechanism? So I borrow. Um, there's, there's an outfit that will hire that will rent current model Jaguars and Land Rovers, and a while ago I rented a current model or latest model Range Rover, and it's got on the side of the door sort of the sort of looks like a seat adjusting thing, but everything else about the seat. So the other Edward, your other 16 things you have to adjust, they're all in the touch screen. Ugh. And oh, to yeah, get I, it up on the touch screen, you have to sort of adjust like the sort of the, the squab forwards or backwards. But unless you realize it's on the screen, you turn from looking over here somewhere to over there somewhere. And as you get from there to there really quickly, the, the screen goes back to whatever it was on before. <laughs> yeah, that, this, is where, McGovern, this is where the ultimate technology. Explain yourself. Yeah. Actually, on that subject, on that subject, sorry, I'm just diverging again. I haven't done it. This oh, evening. my goodness. Did anybody read this week Jerry McGovern's speech about Jaguar? No. He's the chief creative officer. Do we want to go there? Do we want no. to go there? No. He said, <laughs> is it an Jaguar, <laughs> he, has the, he said the Jaguar brand has zero equity. Zero equity. There is zero equity left in the Jaguar brand. 
think zero is a bit unfair, but I would I would uh, agree we'll it's a very that, low anyway. number. So I, I hold him responsible for this madness, which is you've got you, no, just no. <laughs> Ninety one. Right. He's got SL, dinner, Jerry. Bring it back. <laughs> you just you got a bit of cramp in the old back there, Neil. We've got about fifteen minutes. You need fifteen minutes we'll, to read we'll, read Manish's two. We'll do the two car garage now. Bear with me, people, because I've got to bring up this little essay from Manish here. Hold on. <laughs> here we go. Right. He's had much time to consider this. Deary God. Right. About 31 episodes, you, actually. You've hit, your, you've hit your 50s, both kids out of university and work is busy, but it isn't giving either of you the buzz after 30 successful years. Mortgages, school fees, university fees, all a blip in the rearview mirror now, and you've saved a bit too. Your family were farmers back in the day and you both loved the sea. 20 years ago, when the last of your good friends were married, it was in the Caribbean and you loved it. You've been there almost every year since, enjoying every island, but you fell for Tobago, which coincidentally is exactly where Manish is in that picture. Now, it's rural, rustic and easygoing. Empty beaches, wonderful snorkeling, rainforest, two or three decent restaurants, but with amazing and Indian Caribbean fusion food. My mouth is watering. Yeah, You've bought a 50-acre estate up in the hills with a, gra- with a grand house with a 360-degree veranda that needs everything doing. And you want to put 40 acres to work, brackets, citrus, cane, and mangoes it's a hell of a project but that view of the caribbean and that warm evening breeze make every sunset worth it this is this is even longer than a clifford you need two cars both have to be practical the roads are narrow and twisting the local mechanics can fix anything mechanical but if it's a black box that fails the car goes to trinidad or you wait three weeks for the part to come from wherever the first car has to be a total workhorse, a rugged off-roader that needs to carry just about anything from planks to water tanks, from bathtubs to six-foot copper pipes. The second needs to be very capable still, but carry four in comfort with snorkel gear, two windsurfing boards on the roof for when the kids come over and have very good air conditioning. We'll be taking this one on the ferry to Trinidad, which can be a tad flashy, and you don't want to look too dowdy. Dowdy's a lovely word. No yeah. budget. But be sensible, and you want to keep these cars for 10 years. I'm going to get my breath back. Manish, you can answer your own question. So, I have a bit of local knowledge, <laughs> because I see the cars that are around. And I have to say that the real problem here is potholes. There are a lot yeah. of potholes, and that's on yeah, the order. being special. Absolutely. And the other thing, and this is just a subtle digression a lot of the parts here i mean cars here are 95 percent japanese and when people buy parts i'm i'm actually at the the corbin wildlife reserve today and uh, one of the men who runs it ian um has a ford ranger which would be my which would be my first choice but he points out that many parts that are bought by people on this island are probably not real manufacturers parts so tires go in a year because we wonder where they're really from even though they've got the right badge the same thing for almost any component that fails on one of these and i have a feeling most of the cars here anyway reconditioned japanese cars so there is a you know this place you, you feel they're all being held together by elastic bands and actually they're paying probably too much for the bits and pieces that they have because they wear out very very quickly from batteries to tires to clutches so i just said it so Ford Ranger for me. I went on to the Trinidad Tobago Trinidad um, car websites 
And I think you need to have something that you can get spare parts for or at a push, get over to the island. There's a six hour ferry that you can put your car onto. And the Ford Ranger, there, there are two. And the one that I quite like is the FX4. Four doors, massive flat panel at the back, 200 horsepower, huge, great tires. It will go absolutely anywhere. I think it's a six-speed automatic gearbox. And I think you would probably go for an auto here because clutches burn here like yeah. you can't imagine. I mean, there are hills sometimes like that. Sometimes you're flat. Sometimes you're going down a hill and yeah. off camber. I mean, it can be quite terrifying. So that would be my... Um, that would be my basic car. And then the uh, the other car that I would get here, I'd actually get an Audi Q5. Um, Trinidad Ooh. has got good Audi dealerships. And it's, again, got very, very good spares for this car. You've got effectively a very civilized off-roader here. You can definitely get great air conditioning, de definitely get four people inside, get the roof rack, and you can get your uh, sails up. But take all of that down, buy it in, um, I forgot, I think, I can't remember the name of the blue that they have. It's a kind of very deep metallic blue. I think you could go to Trinidad with that, with the leather seats, and go to a nice restaurant if you wanted to. And I don't think anyone would look down at you. So they would be my two Tobago cars. Tell you what, lads, I'm feeling very smug here because the local I'm, knowledge, I'm not far off this. I'm pretty good. Edward Lovett, go. I, I've smashed this. I, <laughs> I, I, this, I, we'll, we'll just finish. We'll finish the, this is the last episode, episode 31, <laughs> Edward's two car game. You're all going to want to move to Tobago after this. Get on with it, Tintin. So, uh, do you want me to start with the practical one or the sports car first? You we'll, start, we'll we know Edward, the difference. you start where you want to start. Come on. Fine. So the practical car is an Icon 4x4 FJ44, which, oh. uh, so yeah, this is an Icon with a with a, with a a soft top, but the whole thing will come off. So you can throw planks in there, surfboards, whatever you need up on the, uh, on the plantation. Um, there's a beautiful one on their Instagram site in a uh, sort of a matte blue. They use this sort of military grade, paint on there they have um v8 engines automatic gearboxes and i'm sure jonathan who owns it if you need any parts he'd be happy to fly out and fix the car but that's going to be my practical car and then obviously you do need some sort of sports car because this is our sort of fantasy two car garage and it Are you is, going to bring tarmac or circo or some other? Be major quiet and drink your lady petrol. I'm about you. to smash it out the fucking park. <laughs> we are buying a 1968 GT 500 Mustang with welded <laughs> doors and a oh. roll cage and spotlights from the Thomas Crown Fair. Very good. Oh, yeah, that's actually quite yeah. good. I hate yeah. to say that. I think well, he. I think he's. I think he supported his confidence there. Jack. Yeah. Whether he's whether they like me on the he? ferry or not, I couldn't care less. What just, a selection of cars! I'm... Thank you very much. It's been a wonderful <laughs> thirty-one weeks. <laughs> that that is it's, that's a very good film. That and that's a great scene. And that. Rene Russo never looked better than in that film. She she throwing yeah. her leg over the side of that. Right, uh, right. Monsieur Petrol, the lady, essence de, de femme. Um, uh, Mr. Cooper, who do you want to have? Or what what two cars are you going to have for your two car garage? Um, 
I've gone Land Rover, despite all I've just said about <laughs> Land Rover. Yeah. So I think the very, very practical car will be a, a stage one, very important, stage one V8 Defender pickup. Mm -hmm. okay. Yep. Because anything that broke, because um, I, I, I know the cabin is, but I don't know Spagus so well, but I've, I've I did a lot of sailing there and sort of stuff when I was younger, and um, the potholes are unbelievable. The roads can be beautiful and smooth, and then there's just this volcanic pothole. So, um, and they don't, and the rain, because it rains a lot, obviously. So the rain just scours it all out, blah, blah, blah. So a stage one V8 Defender pickup. Things will break. But the good news is when they're repaired, you'll get some Toyota or Isuzu replacement part. So eventually your Defender will become a <laughs> Toyo Fender or something, in terms of a hybrid. Anglo-Japanese improvement on the original thing. Yeah. So so that's that's the first thing that I'd have. And then the second thing that I'd have, I wouldn't, because there's only one of those GT500 Mustangs. Still a Land Rover. It does every single thing that manages specified as very, very careful and important requirements. I would have, and Sakaya had before, it's a 2017 Range Rover Sport V8 Supercharged. Oh, get me! Terrible selection. All of those things got very good air conditioning. Yep. You take it on the ferry; it'll get onto the ferry. It won't look too dowdy. Granted, it might not last ten years, but yeah. hey, I've been boring for the last twenty years. Live a little. Well, it sounds like it's still boring. You've bought a new Range Rover Supercharged. No, 2017. Right. Stop being so bloody punchy, everyone. Right, you here see, we go. Um, I can't believe I'm can, saying that. You can Neil see Clifford. Edward. Neil Clifford, help us out here. <laughs> Have oh, you found a comfortable seat, Neil? You've been moving around for the um, last hour. No, my, my drama my drama was that I was 2% charge on my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, We could have got God. away with that. No, so <laughs> I had to sort of huddle around looking you for could a have done, this <laughs> is this could be when people see this episode they're going to go we're panic with these points yeah. right Neil Clifford I, what are your I, two car garage I've got this desperate vision of Chris Cooper ordering 4D number plates for his <laughs> Range Rover Sport so he can avoid the congestion charge <laughs> I mean we need to talk about those 4D number plates they are the most hideous thing that's ever been <laughs> is that why you, they're not just because you like them they're, that, no. they're to avoid congestion charge it avoids the congestion charge oh they I work. thought it was just a chaff they, they work. work they work let's get some <laughs> but they are hideous but they, they do are work. hideous they do work it's a bit of a anyway. gamble isn't it if you, start, if, you, if you use them for a week and then they suddenly they crack it you're in for a big fine aren't you well, I don't know, but any any cabbie you talk to, sort of dodgy cabbie in Goes. back of that oh, there are no surely very few of those. No, but those, those 4D plates, you can save yourself 200 quid a week. Can you? Tell us what don't take charge. over, Christopher. How much is the congestion charge in Tobago? That's a good point. Uh, I've got to bring uh, this back now. I've got to bring this sorry. back, otherwise you're not going to be at your dinner, Chris. Not that right, you're going to remember true. much about it tomorrow anyway. Neil Clifford, what... Are you going to have for your two cars? I've been very, very sensible, and I'm, I'm still, I'm still happy with my choice. Actually, I live my life a little bit through a camera lens, which is not a proud thing to do because often I've got all the gear and no idea. But anyway, my job is about 
seeing things and so i even though i know the defender is shit i'd have a defender but just because it looks the best yep yep whatever you want to say i'm tooling around in one here in ibiza it is sort of shit and amazing all at the same time yeah because it's just full of character it'd be a 110 pre-2005 so you've got the 12 seats you've got the air conditioning that marginally works it may well drive like an old bus, but it won't break, basically. Yeah. So that would be my logical choice for the sort of the family rough roads, all of that. But then I read it slightly differently. I still read it that you needed a cool thing that you want to show up somewhere else, but it's still got to be four by four. It's still got to be rugged. It's still got to be something that is going to survive Tobago. You want to show off a bit wherever you're going. You're going for a long weekend in Barbados even. But, you you know, it's still got to be something that is relatively sensible. So a car that I've always itched for, and they're always 14 grand. They were 14 or 15 grand 20 years ago. In 100 years' time, they're still going to be 14 grand. So my budget is very low. It's that Mitsubishi Pajero oh, yeah. two-door Dakar, yeah. Yeah. right? With the with those big arches. The Dakar, yeah. I've been so tempted to buy one of them, like a million times. Duke of London had one, didn't they, a year yeah. ago? I mean, there's a four-star classics have always got one. There's always, and you'd have it painted like a proper Dakar car, maybe. So when you turned up in... Barbados for fish fry evening on a Thursday, you're going to look like Ayrton Senna turning up in a Mitsubishi, <laughs> basically. It's a super cool thing with those big arches. Maybe you've got a roll bar inside. The air conditioning is still going to work. You can stick your kids still in the back. Your surfboards would look really good on top. You've only spent 30 or 40 grand on your two cars, and I don't think you're going to be much cooler than that. I think you might be wrong, Mr Clifford because I've yet to answer this. So um, I reckon I've seen a few corners of this um, square planet. Uh, and wherever I go, and if I'm in something that pretends on its on the cover to say it can go anywhere, there's always a small little pickup with two doors and a flatbed that gets there before me and seems to go anywhere and hits any pothole. And the one that always struck me as being the best was the Mazda B series. Mazda B200 basically ran Africa for about 20 years. They're everywhere. They're unstoppable. And my working car is a Mazda B200 because it's very Caribbean as well. And I think when you move to somewhere, you want to buy a vehicle that makes you not look like you're a foreigner. And if mm. you bought a B200 in Tobago, I think you just look like a local. Just get a beaten up one. It'll go anywhere. It'll smash any pothole. It'll get, it, It's it's like a cockroach. You cannot kill the bloody thing. And it's not a Hilux. No, 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 it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a Mazda B200. That's why it's interesting. They're, yeah. they're fantastic cars. And I, I remember in, in Africa, they, they used to trade massively overs because they were unkillable so that's my unkillable car but for a bit for a bit of chintz and a bit of specialness i've actually still got some rallies back in the uk pensions just vested and i've gone to kingsley and i've had them make me a range rover classic i've had it wax old to buggery it weighs about four and a half tons because it's got so much wax on those chassis legs and it's got it's green on the outside (laughs) it's got a lovely gahiba interior it's got new air conditioning. It's got a great hi-fi. And when I go to Tobago and I see all these lads in their brand new SUVs, they're all going to go, get me one of those because you are so cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, manager, do people like, do they like colour in Tobago? Colourful. Uh, yes, there yeah. is. 
Yeah. There is a, let's say, I was going to say your choice, your choice of sports car, which I, I do think is really rather wonderful. The only thing is I could see you going past the Black Rock Beach and going, there go the white man. That. They just know <laughs> well, who you are. Maybe, but I would also have, I'd have a third car just to fit in. I'd have a one of those um, Skoda pickups they did in the UK. It was like a <laughs> Wait, they're all bright. They're all yellow. I think. <laughs> I'd have. A, I mean, obviously, none, none of us chose a Panda four by four because it didn't quite fit the criteria. But we might have done otherwise. Right. We need to move this on quickly, people. We're going to do some music first. Manish, give us a tune. Um, when I wrote my wonderful Ferrari script, and I've been thinking about it for various reasons here, and it is therefore a car story. There was a moment where Mike Hawthorne met. Peter Collins and Louise King after they'd got married. And Peter and Louise got this very beautiful house that Enzo Ferrari gave them, gave them a villa, and they cleaned it up. And it's um, Mike seeing Peter and Louise desperately in love for the first time. And the piece of music that tells me that is I Put a Spell on You by Nina Simone. Yeah. It's just oh. love. <laughs> and Ferraris and the 1950s. It's beautiful. Great tune. I've got, I think we're going downhill from here. Uh, Chris Cooper. So um, my last thought on the two car, um, this was on Piston Heads today. Oh. That, that would be... Is that a Maloo? Is that a Maloo of a Bentley? It's a Bentley Maloo, yeah, for yeah. the sort of... Oh, rather than a sort so of it's a Baloo. Like it's a Baloo. A Baloo. So <laughs> I was thinking about this, looking at motorsport pictures, and actually... Um, Monkey, you sent a little picture this morning of you were testing today um, at Goodwood, and you met an old mate of ours who was one of the drivers in the Caterham 24-hour race car 20 years, 21 years ago. And it got me thinking about Caterham racing and when I started. And the first year I did Caterham racing was 98. And I had a CD, it would have been a CD in the car, I had a Mark III Golf GTI, not a great car, but it was green. Um, and one of the CDs I played a lot driving, usually see, my memory is it was always driving to Snetterton to go testing, I guess, because that was cheaper and easy to get hold of. Um, so driving up the old A11 before the old original characters there. Um, Life Through a Lens, Robbie Williams, the album, but the track Life Through a Lens just sticks in my memory of, sort of feel good and excitement uh it was an interesting album it was his first solo solo album after take that and he was clearly on a voyage of discovery and i kind of felt like you know when you start racing or track date or whatever it is something new it just felt so exciting and that, that life through a lens and that time in his life and in london and in my life so you know if these tracks are about reminding us about journeys and driving and what they meant to us then life through a lens really sticks for me so yeah life through a lens robbie williams 98 neil clifford i'm lucky enough to spend a lot of time in america and i desperately try to rent cars not you know get a get a cab and i've got a little playlist on my spotify which i only listen to which is all of um brilliant american music and i adore america i love the nature i love the optimism of the place i love the the, the hard work i love the the grit and determination everyone's an entrepreneur it's such a you know anything is possible place i know it's sort of messed up in other areas but anyway 
I adore Great Britain, but I admire America. And my my favorite track when I'm listening to that and I'm in, I'm, you know, I try to get as weird a car as possible is Simon and Garfunkel, America. It's just a wonderful song. There's nothing else that needs to be said about it. It's no words required. Just listen to it. It's just perfect. Cost me a cigarette. I think there's one in my raincoat. We yeah. smoked the last one an hour ago. Amazing. It's beautiful. Amazing. It's fantastic. Edward, love it. I feel sorry if you're following that. It's a good tune, that. Well, so I did read a few of the comments on YouTube, and it does seem there's a few people of my era listening to the podcast, and they quite liked um, the uh, the annual uh, and the, the clubbing tracks. Mm. So here's another energetic one for you, which is Energy 52 Cafe Del Mar. Oh, June. I love Cafe Del Mar. We're all secretly clubbers. Where are you going out to tonight uh, in Ibiza, Neil? Tonight is an easy night. We had a very eventful night last night, which I won't express any more detail on. But uh, tonight I'm in bed by about 9.15. Um, I better do it. So I had a note from someone. I don't look at Instagram messages or because you get lots of people that send weird stuff. And I just, I, the other day, I thought I'd just crack open a message. And it was just someone that just said, why have you not had any red hot chili peppers on the music? And I was like, you're quite right. We've got that Good wrong. Point. So I'm going to go for something quite aggressive from Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So Blood, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which is Suck My Kiss, which I still think is a brilliant piece of aggressive whatever their genre of music is just psycho rock it's a brilliant tune Um, and if if you do play it in your car just drive carefully because it might encourage you to be a naughty boy or girl um uh, on that on that note uh thank you very much uh, to my co-hosts Neil Clifford, Ibiza, Manj Pandey, Tobago, Chris Cooper, St Moors, Edward Lovett, Swindon, Chris Harris, Bristol. Um, and uh, I'm, we're really sorry that this has gone to quite a middle-class place. And next week, we're going to have a limit of 500 quid per car. Chris Cooper's not going to drink. Manish Pandey's going to be in a normal country. Neil Clifford's going to be I'm horrible. Uh, and Edward Lovett's going to be in Swindon. I'll uh, be the canteen. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.